Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to episode number 121 of the Leading Wild Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Tristan White, keynote speaker, founder and CEO of The Physio Co., and author of the book, Culture is Everything, the story and system of a startup that became Australia's best place to work. Now, before we jump into that conversation with Tristan, I just want to thank you for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast, for going on this journey of what it means to be an effective leader. And we have had some amazing guests over 120 episodes, episode number 121 will be no different. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode 120 with Brian J. Oles and Black Speakers Network and the community that he's building. As a matter of fact, go back and check out all the podcast episodes. You know you can ask Alexa to play the latest episodes and even episodes that you missed of the Leading Wild Green podcast. And it's been great to go on this journey with you. Now, I know a lot of you are struggling right now. I know about the unemployment rates. It's just ridiculously high right now. People are scrambling. Uh, There was a shift in... Uh, the payments for unemployment and those of you who have been laid off, you've lost your job, uh, the restaurant where, that you manage shut down and you're still trying to figure out how to pivot. Man, my heart goes out to you. I know this is a crazy place to be. And I'm so grateful that you're taking a few minutes to listen to the insights that may come from our conversation today. And just want you to know that here for you, praying for you in this journey, in this struggle, with the hope that things will turn around, we'll get back to a place where things are better. They might not be the same. We know the world is not going to be the same after this experience that we're all going through. Corona, racial tensions, explosion that just happened in Beirut, so much. And then the media driving our attention to certain spaces. But I want to encourage you this season this cross section of life can can foster some amazing opportunities and we know the stories of world changing businesses that were birthed in the middle of economic downturns and tragedies and difficult times so i, I want to encourage you to to look for the opportunities i know it's tough right now i know some of you are struggling i know some of you are doing well in maybe in a financial and a professional sense, and you're just wrestling with just the impact that these global, global situations are having on your team and looking for ways to process, no matter where you fall, I just want to encourage you to, to I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep going, to take some time for yourself, to reflect, to process your emotions, to talk through how you're feeling and be in the best place you can to support your people. We, 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 we can never we can never get tired of having great people to talk to and places of community and healing to go to when we need it. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for allowing the Leading Wild Green podcast to be a part of that healing, transformation, insight journey for you as a leader, as an entrepreneur, maybe you're a college student, wherever you fall on the spectrum, we're glad to be a part of your journey. So my guest today is Tristan White. Tristan is the founder and CEO of The Physio Co., a unique healthcare business that not only ranked number one on BRW's list of Australia's 50 best places to work, 
but has made that list for 10, I believe now 11 consecutive years. Tristan believes we spend such a huge part of our lives working that we have to find a way to enjoy it. Tristan is passionate about sharing what he's learned through his blog and podcast, as well as through speaking opportunities at conferences and corporate events around the globe. In his book, Culture is Everything, Tristan shares his system for building a great place to work. And he's here on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast to share some of those steps today. Here's my conversation with Tristan White. Excited to be joined for another episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Tristan White. Tristan, thanks for being my guest today. You're welcome, Pierre. Nice to be here with you all the way from Australia. All the way from Australia. What's the time difference between Eastern Standard Time and Australian time? Uh, I don't know the number of hours, Pierre, but I know that it's, it's the afternoon for you and it's, uh, it's early in the morning for me. It's about 6 a.m. where I am right now. Well, we're uh, so glad that you could join us and, and talk about your, your journey and your work and your book. And let's, let's just dive into it. Take us back uh, collegiate times for you, formalized education. What was going on during, in your mind as it relates to what you thought your career was going to be or what did you have your aspirations directed toward? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And um, like I think many people, my, my thoughts around my career changed and evolved a bit as, um, as, as, I, as I grew, I suppose. I, I finished my high school really having my eye deadly laser focused on studying medicine and being a, a medical doctor was what I really was, was focused on. And when I finished um, uh, the end of high school here in, um, in Australia, uh, I got an interview to um, at a university to study medicine and I was invited for an interview, but, but I was never offered a position in, in a university to study medicine. And that was a big kick in the guts for me, Pierre. I, I, I was really quite um, shattered by that, that uh, situation. I... Um, Thanks to my mother, who um, my, my parents and especially my mother, she really encouraged me to pick up the pieces to get on with. Uh, I'd done a good job at high school. I had an opportunity to study at, at university. Uh, take the opportunity that you've been given was really the the instruction or the or the guidance that she gave gave to me. I went off to university. I studied a year of law and science, uh, which is an unusual combination <laughs> now, Pierre. Um, and I reapplied to study medicine. It wasn't to be. I, I was I was devastated, but I also was focused on what's next. And um, so I, I chose a related medical field, which is physical therapy um, and or a phys- physiotherapy, as it's called down here in Australia. And so I studied uh, physiotherapy for four years at the University of Melbourne uh, in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, and during that degree, uh, Pierre. I sort of somehow I'm a bit of a dreamer. I came up with sort of a dream that I peered off down the road, and that is that um, I, I thought I'd, I'd finish my my degree after four years four years at university, and I'd have some sort of ten year dream of finishing university, moving into getting a, a first job at a, at a teaching hospital to learning the ropes as a as a physical therapist, mm-hmm. uh, to then progressing to um to then progressing to hopefully being focused in private practice and musculoskeletal type injuries which is the pretty common physical therapy type of uh type of uh, direction and then even more typical for physical therapy is is sports and sports injuries and i i um i really hoped and dreamed that i could move towards becoming a specialist sports physical therapist in an elite 
uh, practice. I might be a partner or a, or a significant therapist in a, in a uh, practice. And my favourite uh, football team the AF, in the AFL, the Australian Football League, uh, Pierre, are the mighty Richmond Tigers. And I just hope that I could be the physical therapist for the, uh, the mighty Richmond Tigers uh, down here in, uh, in Australia was my 10-year sort of dream once I finished university. And so that's sort of the early part of the, of the career and, and the, a few changes along the way there, Pierre. So, so let's go back a, a little bit. You, you were talking about the advice that you got from your mom, this advice of taking the opportunity that's given to you. And sometimes that is, when we look at that conventional wisdom from parents, uh, sometimes it flies in the face of maybe popular gurus and, and you know, thinkers, influencers, that sometimes we feel like if I don't get to do the thing for you, it was medicine in a formalized in that way in, in medical, being a medical doctor. If I don't get to do that thing, sometimes young people, especially wrestle with self-worth. How did you navigate that? Like knowing as you're still a worthy person, you still have something to contribute to the world. You, you still have value as Tristan White, even if it's not as Tristan White, the, the medical doctor. Yeah. Pierre, I, when I reflect on that time when I finished high school and uh, was, was planning on going to university to study medicine uh, and I got the news, first of the news that I'd done, uh, my marks at high school were, were quite strong mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I, and I felt they were in the range of, um, of being accepted into medical school. I felt great. I felt strong. I felt like I'd done done the work, and I was my, my self worth was my confidence was 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 high. I felt I was feeling good about myself. And then when I got the news that I that I wasn't accepted into my preferred degree, I was flat. I, I was I was like, how could this happen to me? Well, I've worked so hard. Why 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 am I not being rewarded with what? I believe I, I deserve. It was, it was it was very selfish. It was very self centered um, sort of sort of situation. I hadn't considered the other options. I couldn't. Could, there's no part of me even till now. I'm now 40 years old, Pierre, and I've never until this moment talking to you considered who is the who are the people who just or not just got in, but got into those medical degrees that I didn't and. Mm. How did they not deserve it more than I did? Of course, they they did. They worked exceptionally hard, and and that's the that's their their journey as well. And so, um, so yeah, I was flat, and and there's no, I was deflated, and I was really down. I spent the summer. Um, for, for us, we finished high school in in the end of the year in, in November, December, mm-hmm. and then the university year starts in in March, and that's summertime for us. And so I spent that summer moping around the house, uh, watching sport on television, golf and tennis, and you name it. But but really, just hanging out on my own because I wasn't feeling great about um, about where my life was headed. Um, but yeah, my, my dear mother, uh, who never had the opportunity to study at university herself. Uh, she's like Tristan. You may not be where you want to be, uh, but uh, you have an opportunity to to go to the the big, bigger city uh, to study and and keep trying, keep working. And I think that's um that was the encouragement that I needed at the time here. Mm. So there, there's a point in in your career and in your training where you have this great interest in physiotherapy in the athletic space, and mm-hmm. then there comes a point in your career where you say, okay. This isn't it either. Yeah. <laughs> but talk, talk, talk to us about that, that revelation and then that transition for you. Pierre, I'm, uh, I'm an impatient fella at times. 
And, uh, and so I spoke about that 10 year dream after finishing, finishing physical therapy school. And, uh, the thing is that as I finished the four year degree and I started applying for my first jobs and applying for jobs at these large teaching hospitals, which I thought would have been a first stepping stone into, um, into that 10 year dream. Uh, my head was telling me that this is absolutely the right first paid job in my career. But my heart was saying, man, Tristan, you've just spent two years as a student in these teaching environments, these large teaching hospitals, and uh, I'm just not sure it's for you. Mm. And, and I was really had this head versus heart challenge before I even, even started my career, my first job. And, um, and I came across an opportunity to work at a growing group of private physical practices, um, which was outside the hospital system, which was sort of uh, maybe that, that step was uh, in my mind uh, five years down the track, halfway through that 10-year plan. And, um, and I really considered it hard and I leapt and, and, I, and I took it and I went and worked at this group of private practices and I was learning by the seat of my, plant, my pants, uh, learning communication skills, managing my time, um, managing the, cl the clinical um, challenges with my clients, uh, and also getting to work with an elite uh, under-18 football team uh, in the evenings and on the weekend. So I really did get a taste of what that elite sport physical therapy could look like. Mm -hmm. uh, and Pierre, as much as the f I, I enjoyed the challenge and, and the, the high, fast pace of that job, uh, one thing that really did hit hard, um, hit home, and it was again another head versus heart type of challenge, and that was that I couldn't picture myself or being satisfied um, working as a physical therapist in a small treatment room for most of the week with with a, a new client coming through the door. Who I never, I, I must have been very naive, Pierre, but I never thought to myself that these people who are going to come and see me, they're a bit grumpy and down in the dumps because they're injured and they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're looking for me to help them out and of, of course that's my job but I just didn't enjoy the the negativity that was part of that um that that part of my career and also I just didn't feel like I was uh, using my skills and my whole self in, in a way that that served as well as I could be and and helping uh, younger athletes and, and uh, emerging professional athletes to run faster, jump higher, tackle harder is is something that is wonderful for some people. And I've got mates of mine who have made a great career out of it. But for me, I thought there was something more, Pierre. I really thought that I could use those skills to do something else. And so I left that first job after only a year or so. So now I'm one year into my supposed 10-year dream I've, um, I really don't have a job and I really don't know where I'm headed because that dream of sports physical therapy is something that, um, that I'm now questioning whether it's, it's for me. And I'm, 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 again, I'm home with my parents at my parents' house. I moved back home and um, my dear mother, who'd encouraged me all those years ago, uh, said, Tristan, what are you doing? And, um, and I reflected hard and I thought to myself, what do I really enjoy? And it was, it was pretty embarrassing, Pierre, I, I, compared to the elite, sexy part of the industry of, of elite sports. Uh, yeah. I really realised that, um, that I enjoy working with older people, uh, older people who I can use my physical therapy skills to help them to, uh, to walk a bit further, to be able to stay living in their own home for longer, to, to maybe it's my skills can help them to better walk from their dining room table in their house down a few steps out the front driveway to collect their mail or the newspaper from their mailbox and go back into their house. Uh, but if that makes them happy 
and it, their quality of life is stronger, then I, I felt like that was something that I could serve the world. And, and so I made a very early change to, um, to being a physical therapist, working with older people, Pierre, and that's a, the next step in my, in, in my career. Yeah, how, how did you wrestle with that, as you mentioned before, the, the, the attractiveness level of, of working with, with older individuals, uh, m- mature in their years, and who just, just trying to have less pain when they go to the mailbox or pick up their groceries? How did you wrestle with maybe, maybe colleagues, maybe family, maybe people who knew you and are saying, why would you give up such an illustrious version of your career to do this thing? Is it, and all of those questions, is it going to be enough money? Is it going to be the right fit? How are you going to grow it uh, versus this sense of calling or passion that this is the thing that you're supposed to be doing? How did, how did you kind of fight off even well-intentioned folks who may have tried to put a, a, a damper on, on your goal? Mm. Pierre, I, I, I didn't tell many people about the change for, mm. for a start for that very reason. I, I was still getting comfortable with it myself uh, and I felt strongly that it was something that I would enjoy myself, but I didn't feel it was something that I could excitedly share with others because it was a fragile idea. It was mm. a, and, and new ideas are often quite fragile and they can be squashed very easily if, you're not, if, you're not, if we're not careful. And so I, I kept that change quite close to my chest for, for a period of time. And I had to, I felt like I needed to protect it and protect myself as I, um, as I found my feet. And then over time, uh, I really did enjoy the work. And I got to a point where I, um, I'd always had a dream, uh, Pierre, that I would, I would be part of a inspired, um, team that inspired that inspired me to do the best work that I could be, and, and that's. I initially thought it was going to be an elite sports practice where I'd be a part of a small six to ten person team uh, working with with elite athletes. Um, when I changed my direction to work with older people, I then sort of took that part of the dream with me and thought I'd like to be working with a group of other people who really do inspire me um, to do my best work. And so the beauty is that as as time progressed. I was able to attract some other people to come and work for me and I got to the point where I felt comfortable to be able to sort of shout from the rooftops that <laughs> I love working with older people and it's, it's something that, that I'm confident to say and you can think it's the ugly duckling of the health world if you like but to me it's it's valuable, it's worthwhile and it's, um, and I feel strongly about that And but that took some time here, it wasn't, it wasn't overnight, that's for sure. So it's one thing to have this dream that you're nurturing uh, that you want to work with an older population with physiotherapy. It's another thing to say, okay, let, we're going to build a, a business, a, a, a big entrepreneur, entrepreneurial venture around this and even invite people to, to work with me and employ them. And you mentioned early in your career that communication skills, time management piece that you were learning. What was going through your head when you said, okay, let's put this thing together and make it official and sort of the the infancy stages of it. What were some of the things that you wrestled with, and how did you find really the courage to keep motivated and to keep going with the normal things that entrepreneurs face early on? Mm. So Pierre, the my my pivot from the sports physio, physiotherapy direction to um, working with older people, it started with a a twelve hour per week subcontracting job at a a, a very old tired and dare I say it a bit smelly nursing home um, mm. in, in, in Melbourne is where it, where it began 
But at that old and tired nursing home were 30 wonderful older people who I got to know and get to work with and got to help them with their, with their physical um, mobility and in, keep them independent as possible. And so first things first, the, the job was to um, – the, the, or the task for me was to, to make myself busy enough to actually have a job Working mm. with older people, and, and so it mm-hmm. was this twelve-hour-per-week job that I did for for a number of months, and then I built relationships with the staff and the manager of that nursing home. And one day, the manager of that nursing home, she was a wonderful lady. Her name was Reka, and Reka um, called me into her office, and she said, "Tristan, I think you need to meet Yvonne." And I said, "Who's Yvonne?" And she said, "Yvonne manages a nursing home up the road in a, in a sub in three suburbs away, and Yvonne is looking for a physiotherapist at her aged care facility as well." And so I jumped in my car and off I went to to meet Yvonne. And all of a sudden, I was a few weeks later. I was now the physiotherapist at two nursing homes, and uh, and then this continued for the, about the first year until I had more work that I could physically do myself. And I I um, had built myself from this from a complete loss in my career to twelve hours a week to then I don't know. 20 hours a week to 30 hours a week and now I must have been working 40 to 50 hours per week in these in these aged care homes mm. I got to I got to a point if I had a dream of um of building a team Pierre at that point it was more about survival <laughs> and that is that I I had um I had these older people that I wanted to help and serve and I'd committed to Yvonne and Reka and so I just needed to ask for help and asking for help meant um, finding another physiotherapist to uh, to help me with the work to be able to help older people, and so that was the first step of really asking for help. And, and I, I did muck it up, Pierre, and, and that is that um, the very first physiotherapist that I employed, I, I thought that I'm, I was I was a mere twenty four or twenty five years old, very recent graduate. I really thought that I was looking for a much more experienced therapist who could. Um, could fill the gaps that I may have had in my skills at that point in time. And so I employed someone who was much more senior than I was to be a part-time physiotherapist. And, uh, and that person was, was, was a capable physiotherapist and did, did a, an adequate job for the time that he was working together. But it only lasted a few months because it was a job, not a, not a calling or a purpose for, mm. for that person. Mm. And there was a real, my very first employee, which I didn't even realise, I, I didn't realise I was building a team at that, at that point, Pierre, but there was a real learning there that we have to focus on the purpose and attract people that really are passionate about the work we do. Um, otherwise, it becomes a job rather than a responsibility that they, that they do choose. How, how do you recover from that? And how do, how do the, the entrepreneurs or the executives who are listening to this podcast right now, how do you recover from, you made a, you made a hire of a person, capable, gifted resume is amazing, come with flawless recommendations, but they're not a good fit from that aspect of job versus, versus sense of calling and purpose. And, and, should we always be looking to have people who are looking to fulfill a sense of purpose or do we want people on our team who, okay, this is just a job for them, but they can do the job well. I think it's okay to have, uh, as I've built the team over, over a period of time and our team's grown significantly since, since those days, but I have to lick my wounds, so to speak, and, and think, man, am I up to this? Am I am up to employing people and, and what can I, can I do from this? And fortunately, I was, I was resilient enough to realise it was a learning opportunity. It was a, uh, a, a showstopper type of, type of moment um, for me. 
but Pierre, I, I think that you can have team members who are part-time team members, especially part-time team members who uh, may not, it, it may not be their life's work, um, for example. It may, it may not be something that they're amazingly purpose-driven and they're committing all of their um, waking time to, to, the, to the job. That's, it, it's wonderful if we can find some great people along the way who really do give their all. By the same token, uh, and I don't, on, on the very furthest from that, are mm-hmm. people who couldn't care less and, and just turning up for the paycheck. Um, I, I don't think there's there's space for, for that, that particular type of person. But there is definitely space for someone who is a genuinely good person who understands the work, who is qualified and is committed to doing the best work they can be while they're at work. Um, but that they're not necessarily living, breathing, and and um, uh, I don't know, uh, bringing ideas all day and all night sort of stuff. There's the right people for the right jobs. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing as we build our team of individuals. It's not a team of of absolute clones. It's a team of individual who can bring different skills and different perspectives uh, over time. Uh, you mentioned licking your wounds earlier, and. Uh- you know, just reading some information about you and your bio, you've ranked as one of Australia's 50 best places to work for 10 consecutive years. I'd say you more than than licked your wounds in, in that regard. At, at what point in the journey did you realize, man, we have something special here? Like we're building something special and we need to maybe, or you personally need to really document, take notes on what's happening here not just because it's going to be a teaching component down the road, but as you're looking to really scale and hold on to what you've started, when did it begin to click for you that, okay, you're, you're onto something here? So Pierre, I think to answer that question um, is probably, a, it was a long way down the road uh, to, to document and actually think this is something that, that was special because I've, I've been striving and always thinking towards what's next and how can I support members of my team and how can I help more older people has been a significant part of, of the journey. And so it was 2004 that I first started working in that um, 12 hours per week at that, um, that old nursing home I mentioned. And by 2009, Pierre, um, I'd, five years in, I'd, I'd grown a small team of about 20 team members that, um, that had grown from me and that first team member that didn't work out and then a, then a new team member that did join was my, my second ever hire who just happens to still be working with me today mm. in 2020. Um, 16 years on is, the, is, is something I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Pierre, after... Um, after about five years, we had this small team, about 20 people. I didn't know what culture was. I'd been an accidental entrepreneur, a physical therapist who'd become an accidental entrepreneur. And it was, uh, I really was uh, in leading, in, it's not even the right word, I was surviving in a big mess that I'd, um, that I'd created around me. And uh, everyone reported to me. I was, I was amazingly reactive. I was no longer treating clients. I was, I was really reactive. I was a supervisor um, and really trying to, trying to survive. And it was that point in time that, um, that I realised there's got to be a better way. I went searching. I came up your way. I went for a, a quick sabbatical to North America to, um, to research some other, what I discovered as values-based businesses, values-based businesses, and um, I realised that I needed to put the foundations in place of what I now know as a core purpose, the, 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 the why of an organisation, the core values, the, the three to five behaviours that are really important in our, in our organisation and the vision as to where we're headed. That was a really important foundations that I needed to put into place which enabled us to, to learn and grow. And so 
from 2009, um, we were able to put those in place and I did something which enabled me to gather feedback from, um, from other, another source, Pierre, and I entered a study which I saw advertised in some business magazine somewhere and it was a, a third third-party study where a, a consulting organisation would um, would uh, do some surveys for, for your staff or for team members, gather feedback and hopefully provide some insights that would help us to um, to better improve our business. And, and so I, I thought this sounded fantastic. I, I really didn't think I was getting enough accurate and, and brutal feedback and so I entered this, this process. We got the results which were in part reassuring and in part sort of gut-wrenching because mm. there were some real changes I needed to make. Uh, the beauty was that we, um, we had that information and we could take action on it. And, uh, and Pierre, about two or three months after we got that information, that survey result, uh, and we started making the changes, I got a call from the said magazine where I read it and, um, and where I first saw that survey advertised. And they said, Tristan, uh, this may not have been obvious, but we were um, surveying organisations and we're now going to put publish a list of Australia's 50 best places to work mm. and the Physio Co is going to be on that list. And I, I was shocked. I didn't even know this was happening. I was like, how can our little fledgling healthcare organisation be, be, be um, put on this, on this list? Uh, but it was both humbling, exciting and inspiring and we then continued to... Um, to do that survey, get the results, make the changes, the 1% changes year after year after year, year, which helped us to get to those 10 years. And it actually, um, more recently, it's become 11 years that we've been one of Australia's 50 best places to work. Um, but, Pierre, there was a moment in 2014, which was 10 years after I started the business, and that is that we were ranked uh, in the category of 100 employees or less. Um, we were ranked as Australia's number one best place to work and it was that moment that I realised, mm. yeah, you know what, this is something special, something to be proud of and something that we can document and that become the foundations of the Culture is Everything book that, uh, that has documented the story and the system that we've used at the, at the Physioco. Uh, the book you mentioned, Culture is Everything, the story and system of a startup that became Australia's best place to work. Now, talk to me about the – well, first – the, you culture is everything. The, what's your definition of culture? And then what's the importance of feedback? Because this feedback, this survey seemed to be a watershed moment for you in the organization and making some significant changes and being just being receptive to the process uh, that led to, you know, just a tremendous growth and recognition. So define culture for us in, in, in terms of how you frame it in your book. And then why is feedback so important when we're trying to navigate culture? Mm. So, uh, Pierre, culture is something that a lot of people think is quite airy-fairy and an intangible type of concept. Um, and in some ways it is, uh, but, but I've learned, uh, learned from, from the trenches that culture can be systemised and put some the foundations of the structure of a strong culture can be systemised inside a business, just like sales or quality control or education might, might also be, be systemised. And so um, I think it is possible to create a repeatable culture uh, which exists inside an organisation. It needs to be tailored and it needs to have some flexibility. But in essence, um, my, my belief is that, uh, that a culture is the actions and behaviours you see from a shared set of values being lived by some people that are, that are aligned to the same purpose in an organisation. And so 
that, that's a long word to say. It's people doing stuff which is aligned, um, which, which will help to bring a vision to life. That's the, that's the concept of um, what is a, a culture. And regarding feedback, uh, man, Pierre, I'd, um, I, I didn't realise the what I was... I, I still don't know what I don't know, um, but uh, but I realize, I, I realize that the more information that I can get um, from sources that I can trust, or at least I can validate and verify, um, not taking on feedback and suggestions from uh, everyone and everything, because we have to be selective in where, where we get our data from. Um, but a continuous flow, and so this annual survey that I spoke of is being very significant in get, gathering feedback. But that's not enough, and and so we we have a a rhythm of three monthly conversations with each of our team members, the team leaders in our business, um, uh, uh, the team leaders. Um, Jim Collins would say that we need to have the right people on the bus. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Collins would also say that each team leader has got a is a leader of a minibus, and we have to create that minibus as a pocket of greatness. And we can't do that unless we're checking um, and, and engaging with those people on a regular basis, basis. So every three months we have a review process where we figure out what's working, what's not working, what values are being lived well, what values could be lived better, and uh, how can we align the future of the business with the future hopes and dreams and career aspirations of that team member. And so that's part of the way that we, um, that we go about gathering feedback. And the last thing, Pierre, is that mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a CEO these days. I, um, I lead a, a large-ish team, and, and yet, but we have to be connected to, to customers. And so I've, I get an email once a week that's got the name, phone number, and a little bit of information about two of our um, older clients or their families who are being receiving a service from the PhysioCo. And I pick up the phone and I introduce myself as, um, as the owner of the PhysioCo, and I just wanted to know how they go on, what's, what's working, what's not working for them, and how can we can keep improving. And I think being connected to customers as well as team members is a critical job of us leaders. That's an awesome example. I'm sure people who are listening to the podcast just wrote that reference down of something to do to, to really engender themselves to uh, the, the people they serve. I, I want to ask you about, about motivation. One of the, one of the points you talk about is motivating your team. I want to ask you relative to the transition that you had to make from being a hands-on hands-on practitioner to, as you mentioned before in the, in the story, now you're managing people and very reactive and, you know, not, it's one thing to manage process. It's another thing to lead people. What did, what have you learned about motivating people from maybe even some of the mistakes that you made that, that contributes not just to getting on the list of one of the best places to work, but contributing authentic, authentically to being a place where people just continue to promote the culture uh, for you. Mm. P- Pierre, I think one of the the early mistakes that I've that I've made and that I've I've had to try and recover from or, or not make the same repeated mistakes because like we all make mistakes i think we have to admit and accept that but we don't have to keep we, we don't have to keep making them and we and we can learn from them and um look i in the especially in the early days i was i was a young fella who um had this uh, a, a building momentum of enthusiasm and and, insp- and and motivation for for growing this team and growing this business and there were definitely some external factors like um, the external validation that comes from being one of Australia's 50 best places to work that 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 meant many things to me, which was less relevant and less important to other other team members. And, and so the learning there is what motivates me 
is is absolutely nothing to say will motivate other people and, and, and realizing that every person's got their own hopes and dreams and fears. And the real the learning there is what motivates me is is almost irrelevant to the members of my team. Uh, I need to communicate in a clear and effective way so people understand where the um, where the direction for the business is headed. But if I, I really want them to be motivated and connected and inspired, then I need to get to know them as individuals, and we and we need to find a way to understand what's important to them and. Uh, in in the most in the recent uh, Netflix documentary, uh, Pierre of the Last Dance of, of Michael, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls story, um, Phil Jackson, the coach of the Bulls, famously coached uh, the team by focusing on the individuals um, and and how he best communicated individually to each of those team members, and that's the job that we've all got to be the coach, the head coach of our team or the or the driver of said minibus, but doing it in a personal, connected way, which speaks the language of the individual team members, not expecting people to be motivated by the stuff that we think is important as you travel and and you speak to organizations and different groups of leaders uh, sometimes I, I imagine there's pushback and people say well this is easy for you you know you have awards and you have recognition and you've been in magazines and you have all of these things for you you don't understand how hard it is you know for me and my industry or with my people what are some things about culture and leadership that that they're just the same, no matter the industry, no, no matter the location, no, no matter the organization. These are fundamental. And if we don't get them right, there's no way we're going to have the impact that we need to have with our organization. Mm. Pierre, I, I could either fight with said people to, 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 uh, to let them know that, um, that they're not as unique as they might think they are, <laughs> or, or I can acknowledge that they absolutely are right, that, um, that it is harder than it could, it's much harder for them than it could possibly ever have been for me, um, or I can meet them somewhere in the middle. And the answer is somewhere in the middle, and that is that it's, it's very difficult to build a strong team culture, especially when you're starting from a from a starting from a from a, from scratch. Um, and and I, I was from that point. I was from this big mess that I described in in 2009 of, of 20 people reactively um, responding to me. Um, but the moment that I took responsibility to say, "There's got to be a better way for this," yeah. uh, and, and I and I'm going to find a better way that's going to work better. Firstly, for me, um, in, in, in a selfish way, because I can't continue to live and lead in this in this reactive way, uh, and secondly, because I need to serve my team better. When 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 people take responsibility to say, you know what, uh, I don't know what I don't know, and uh, but but people have tread this path before me, and I'm going to learn and I'm going to apply, and there's going to be some bumps and, and challenges that and what Tristan does in healthcare may not apply to my team over here in IT, and 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 we accept that entirely. But I think it's a it's a mindset and it's a responsibility that that we can take, and it takes time to become self aware enough for all of us to to realize what what can and can't be done. And so, um, I, I guess yes, there's resistance, and and yes, some people um, are like, no, that's not for me, and and I'm not going to fight them on that PR. I'm just going to gently encourage them to say if things aren't working the way they'd like them to be, then find a solution. If it's not the solution that I'm suggesting, find a solution that does work for them, but don't accept the status quo because we, we can, we're human beings. We can, we, we can learn, we can grow, we can evolve and we can adjust. And there's always a better way. Uh, Tristan, give us an example of uh, share a story with us 
of maybe from your traveling and and speaking and consulting an organi- with an organization or from Physioco, where either an employee of yours or an organization you work with it responded and said the things you've been sharing, the things that you've been teaching have been transformative and really turned around in my business or just really turned around my sense of value in the marketplace. And I found a great home here at Physioco. A, a, a story that for you is one of those one of those reminders that, yeah, you are in the right place. You you did do the right thing. You know, your journey is going the direction that you fought for and you are following your sense of calling. Give us give us one of those feel good stories that you go to, uh, even if you're having one of those tough days. Yeah. So, so Pierre, I think the, the best story I can tell you is, is a, a someone I've been working with for, for a few years now. His name is David. And, um, and, and David, I mean, I've been mentoring and I've been working with David and he is familiar with the Cultures Everything system and he's been implementing and applying the Cultures Everything system, um, which is the, the 19 steps that I believe are needed to build a great place to work in his team. And he was a, firstly a team leader in a, in a services business and then he got promoted to becoming more of a general manager and he had a larger team to, um, to, to serve. And that's when I started working with David. And he, he continued, we'd meet once every three weeks and he'd come and, come and um, we'd have breakfast together and he'd come with challenges that he was, he was sort of finding in his business and his, in his team. And we'd work through it and he'd be listening to my podcast and be applying these ideas, but he, but he kept sort of butting up against resistance within his own team and within individuals in his team and and Pierre what he didn't realize and what I didn't realize at the time and I've discovered this by working with David is that the culture everything system is is amazingly strong and it's it's amazingly powerful to provide a structure and a framework for leaders to, to follow to build a strong culture but unless we've got leaders who are vulnerable enough brave enough self-aware enough Mm -hmm. to actually um, apply the system adapt it adjust it adjust themselves uh, and and to be continually evolving as someone who leads that system then then the system will will just be a black box it was a good idea at the time but it won't come to life and evolve over time and so i've been working with david and together he has responded and sometimes we now sit together pierre and um, he's got a list of questions. And, and one of the questions might be, I've got this challenge with this particular person. The, um, this is what I'm ex- hoping or expecting will happen. This is what is happening. There's some resistance. The behavior is unaligned. And, and sometimes I actually don't have to speak anymore. Um, yeah. David knows the answer. And the answer is, I need to go and speak to them about this, don't I? I'm like, yeah, Dave, you do. Yeah, yeah you actually, you, you have to, to, to sit and you have to um, explain your, yourself in a respectful way and ask, ask respectful questions and, and resolve it. And, and so, Pierre, the, the story is about so, someone who um, has embraced the idea of building a strong culture but then has evolved to becoming the best leader they can be who's learnt the skills, built the confidence and I've enabled them to be supported to try new things which has enabled them to grow and, and David is now the the, um, the co-COO, so he's one of the, the two chief operating officers of this organisation. He's responsible for 150 team members hmm. and he's, um, he he's really has grown and that's someone I'm very proud of David's progress, but I'm really pleased of what he's helped me to discover. And, and more recently, um, 
Pierre, we've uh, we've started something called the Culture Is Everything Club, which is a uh, a safe space for business leaders to to learn these skills. Um, and uh, and David is a founding member of the Culture Is Everything Club, and I, I just see him contributing in in a positive way, and and I can see other emerging leaders who are learning from David's experience, and I feel very proud of the of the progress that Dave's made. And yet he's just getting started; he's got a long way to go. So I think that's one of the one of the best stories I can share there, Pierre. Yeah. Tristan, tell us, you know, uni- university for us here in the United States, getting ready, getting ready to start in really just a few weeks. And maybe there is a professor out there who maybe they haven't finalized. They're, they're a little behind schedule. They haven't finalized their additional reading list for the course. And they teach an introduction to leadership, introduction to management, introduction to entrepreneurship. Uh, maybe even an introduction to culture course or business culture course, why would picking up your book or making your book assigned reading for their course, your book culture is everything. Why, why would that be one of the best decisions they can make this academic year? Yeah, I reckon the the answer is that that it's a it's a real story. It's uh, in university. I went to university, and then there was there's plenty of theory, and there's plenty there, there's plenty of um, of ideal world world, and there's there's theoretical models. Uh, and but what I've got in the culture is everything book is the story of a fledgling fragile idea of working with older people in the in the in a smelly nursing home of Australia that that is brought to life in, in a in a book which um, which shares a story but also comes with a with a framework that can be followed in a repeatable system that can be applied and. and um, tailored to different industries different careers different countries different places and and the beauty of the culture is everything system is i expect that it will be much much better in the future when other people are using it and together we can build this strong community of people building great teams because ultimately i believe the world needs more great places to work if i can provide a a little piece of the framework which will help other people to create great places to work and together we, we can um, gather that feedback and improve it together and I think that's uh, that's something pretty significant so uh, the the human story followed by the the connection and, and the idea that we're all working together to build more great places to work is uh, some of the reasons I reckon it should be should be worth considering yeah I know many of our listeners will agree with you. We can surely use more great places to work uh, in this world. And we, we thank you for your leadership in cultivating those places, cultivating that place, and then teaching other leaders how, how to do the same. Uh, before, before I let you go, I call this shameless plug time in the podcast. Uh, you mentioned your podcast. We mentioned the book. How can we keep up with you? Where can we find the book? Give us your podcast all the URLs, social handles, whatever you got, just throw it on us so we can keep up with your work. Yeah, thank you. You're very, you're very kind to, to ask this question. Uh, we're, we're on a podcast right now, so clearly the people listening are podcast listeners. Uh, pick up your phone wherever you are right now, um, unless you're driving, then, then don't do that. But, um, but search for the Think Big, Act Small podcast. Think Big, Act Small podcast is my podcast um, and click subscribe, listen to a few episodes. I think that would be the first place I'd point people towards. Uh, secondly, uh, I've got an online community which is called the Culture Is Everything Club. So cultureiseverything.club is the, uh, is the URL for that one. Uh, and also my personal home on the web where you can download a introduction to the Culture Is Everything book. The, the first chapter and introduction is a free download. You can get a copy of the Culture Is Everything checklist to uh, to give you the 19 steps that I believe are needed to build a great place to work, 
All that is at tristanwhite.com.au is the URL for that one, uh, Pierre. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that people can catch up with you and, and your work and and follow up which, in what you're doing and, and stay connected. My guest on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast has been Tristan White. He's a keynote speaker. He's a founder and CEO of the Physio Co. And he is the author of the book, Culture is Everything, the story and system of a startup that became Australia's best place to work. Tristan, thanks for being my guest today. You're welcome, Pierre. Thanks for having me. Great conversation with Tristan White, keynote speaker, founder and CEO of the Physio Co. and author of the book, Culture is Everything, a story and system of a startup that became Australia's best place to work. Now, we put the links in the show notes so that you can follow up with Tristan and his work so that you can get your own copy of Culture is Everything And you can leverage what Tristan has shared from his journey, from his organization, from the organizations he has coached, from the leaders he's developed. You can leverage all of those things to build a better culture for you and for your people. That's all I got for this episode. You know, it's my mission to help you live, learn and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.